Hello and welcome to episode three of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast that myself and Sam Volkering got together to do to try and combine both talking about financial markets and at the same time reviewing some decent beer. So today is Friday the 26th of June. We have managed to make it to the third episode. Sam, how are you getting on? I'm very well and I'm, I'm really proud that we've made it to our third episode as well because <laughs> It means that we both still enjoy doing it, and it also means that people are listening. So it's it's great to be here again on a Friday to talk some smack about the markets and to drink some hopefully delicious beers. I mean, it could be indicative that we're both alcoholics, you know. But uh, <laughs> I, I like how you're putting a positive spin on it. Yeah, I mean, it helps that we we both. I mean, I have no doubt I consume far too much alcohol. I mean, I remember once when I was a bit younger and. Uh, my dad even sat me down at one point and he goes, look, we're a little worried about how much you drink. And I go, come on, I'm like 19 years old. What else do you expect? I think, I think parents quickly forget what they were like as kids when they become parents. So hopefully I don't get to that phase, but, but in another you know, 18 years when Max is around that age, I'm probably sure I'll sit him down and be like, <clears throat> you consume far too much alcohol, son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite. I wonder what they'll be drinking in 18 years. Um, but virtual drinks, man. Oh, yeah, quite, quite. Well, actually, we can actually tie that into one of those beers, but not the first one that we're going to do today. Yeah, anyway, maybe we'll kick on to that later on. Yeah, quite. So this week, I mean, uh, you know, it has been a week since our last one. It does feel like quite, quite a while, but it's been a pretty interesting week for markets in general. I mean, in terms of like the FTSE and that, I mean, you're not, uh, there's not a huge amount of action going on, but some of the stories that have been occurring, uh, that have been, uh, especially in the likes of Wirecard, for example, the, uh, the, the European fintech that was going to take over the world. It has been quite a, uh, a chaotic uh, and really quite entertaining week to some degree. They're not if you were an investor in Wirecard. But uh, our first beer actually sort of ties into this somewhat. Uh, Sam, do you want to give us a, a, a description? Yes, well, just like the mysterious money that was supposed to have existed in uh, Wirecard's accounts that wasn't there, the name of our first beer this week is Nature's Mysterious Patterns, which is an American pale ale. Uh, and this is uh, brewed and canned in the UK by the River Brew Co., uh, which uh, is in Gateshead. Um, so... My, I'll tell you what, it's, it's hot here and mine is already starting to sweat. So I'm going to get this out the can and into a cup. But uh, this is a 5% uh, ABB. Uh, so I'm going to, hopefully this is this pretty good American pale, this one. Yep. And uh, it does have a very aesthetic label, I must say. It's got a, a spider's web on the front, some nice lights in the background. The design is, I understand, by Real Eyes. That is real-eyes.co.uk. Uh, and it is. Uh, it does look very aesthetic. Let's uh, let's give it a try, shall we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sip away, and I'll just. Uh, I was just going to say, I quite like the fact that they share the designers on these cans because a lot of the, you know, it's almost artwork that we see on the labeling. Well, it is artwork um, that we see on the labeling of some of these cans. It's pretty impressive stuff. So um, you know, it's a good little sort of bit of advertising there for real eyes. Yeah, if you're um, I'm going to have a sip of this. For, uh, for decent cans and uh, attractive looking cans when buying beer, they've definitely uh, nailed it with this one. Yeah, so uh, let us know what you think, boys, and I'm going to have a sip and then and, and I'll, uh, I'll let you know what I think. Right. Yeah, so this is uh, yeah, an American pale ale. I must say, this is very refreshing indeed. Um, it's, quite, uh, yeah, it's quite crisp, quite citrusy, uh, but really quite light. I wouldn't have thought that this was 5% if, I'd, uh, if someone had just given it to me. But yeah, very refreshing. It really does suit the weather right here because uh, if you don't know where you are, if you're listening to this, but uh, here in London, it is uh, humid as hell. I must say, uh, going outside really felt like I was on holiday, really sunny. Uh, there was meant to be a lightning storm today, but sadly it was canceled or maybe it'll, maybe it'll appear later on. But this does suit the, uh, this really does suit the weather. Very refreshing. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, that's a that's a cracking beer to have on a day. It's it's uh, I'm up in the West Midlands and it's it's equally as uh, humid and sticky, um, and that is super refreshing. And uh, yeah, it's definitely got a citrusy taste to it. It's got that little little sort of twang of a of a you know grapefruitiness to it. Um, that is thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable. I'm I'm, I'm liking it straight from the outset. This is a, this is a really nice beer to drink on such a sticky hot day it's, it's, it's yeah. gross i'd call this kind I of imagine. weather gross 
it feels like uh, sort of what, what people describe as uh, hol- like uh, Florida weather, like where it's really, yeah. really humid and it's sunny and then rainy and then sunny again. I must say, though, this would probably taste even better if you had been shorting Wirecard down into the dirt. Uh, as I understand, uh, 1.1 billion, uh, I think 1.1 billion euro, as it's a, as it's a European stock, uh, was made in shorting Wirecard over the last week. Uh, which is uh, really quite impressive. Uh, it seems the hedge funds really did, really did uh, sort of uh, pile into that thing near the end. Filed for insolvency on uh, on Thursday, so uh, you know just yesterday, in fact. And uh, for those who are uh, who are who are shorting it, this must uh, this must be quite a crowning moment, you know. I mean, some of the positions that they're talking about with these hedge hedge funds that have shorted it. I mean, literally billions. These these are the kinds of trades where they short a stock. They get hammered for it because people think they're crazy. You know, the the doubts about Wirecard uh, had been raised. You know, this isn't something that's just years, happened in the last ago. couple of weeks. This is years ago. You know, there were questions being asked about the company. You know, there there was a, you know, the growth in their earnings was was questioned. You know, a lot of aspects of the business were questioned, but like you say, it was the fintech darling of uh, of Germany. And it is very quickly proved to be a house of cards because how the hell does two, was it about, was it about 2 billion euros um, that they said they had that never existed? And that's I mean, only what's been discovered so far. Like, yeah. I bet you this rabbit hole goes way, way deeper than that. Um, and that the CEO's already been arrested. Um, this is resigning, Enron yeah. scale stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, to me, and when you say Enron, like, I, it just makes me think, well, if this is Enron, what's WorldCom, you know? I mean, the, the, uh, the way that bankruptcies and corporate fraud of this level, I mean, they, they, historically, they kind of cluster together because it's during periods of real of, you know, great excitement and great bullishness uh, that, that investors are willing to overlook red flags, right? It's where they yeah. don't want to do their due diligence so much. It's when, you know, things are, things, it's during the good times. And that's why, you know, WorldCom and Enron, they, you know, they were just at the, they, they, you know, just months apart between the scandal being revealed and the gigantic fraud and all, all of the fallout. Uh, funnily enough, Jeff Skilling, uh, you know, he's, he's back in the game. I think it was just last month he was trying to, uh, trying to pitch a, uh, an energy trading platform. I had heard uh, this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that he comes, he, he's back now and now we've got the next big corporate, corporate fraud. But I, I, I was wondering about that because if, if, I don't feel it can just be Wirecard. I mean, if people were overlooking the the holes in Wirecard story, which would you know had been written about for years now, I wonder if there is another major uh, business out there that is similarly, um, you know, they've managed to paper over all of the fraud because things have been going well and you know incomes have been coming in. But during the lockdown, you know, uh, you know the, the, that revenue isn't there, so that revenue to paper over the cracks isn't there, and it makes yeah. me think. Maybe there's another one that we're going to see. You know, a real big, you know, you know, the rock, the rock is flipped over, and there are all these worms, you know, thriving away <laughs> under there. You might be right, and you probably will be right, and because we know that, you know, you go back and there, it's just, you know, it's corporate fraud after corporate fraud. It, you know, it it exists everywhere all the time, and it's just a matter of who gets caught doing it or not. And during the lockdown, like you say, you know, there just hasn't been. Uh, the capacity to paper over it anymore. And so, you know, Wirecard's the, the first of what would probably be a few to come. And I think, mm. it, I think it's going to come in sort of two phases, right? Is that we're going, we, we're like definitely going to see corporate failures out of the back of, of the lockdown and, and the economic impact that, that that's have with, with shutdown of the economy and all those sorts of things. There is going to be further corporate failures just on that alone, then I think we're going to see this this other layer of corporate failures that are based around uh, financials and mechanisms that have been put in place that were fraudulent before the lockdown, but have now been exposed because of it. So it's it's going to be like these two categories of, of failures about those that have failed just because they've unfortunately failed and those that have failed because they've been destined to fail because they're yeah, yeah. covering up a lot of you know, really crazy stuff. And then when you think about Wirecard as well, this isn't just a company that operates solely in Germany. This is a global company. And you've got to wonder how this is going to reverberate through the financial networks that they operate in. Um, you know, 
this is this is going to play out very significantly. Like, you know, you know, they had they had big contracts with Mastercard and Visa. Um, they obviously had deals with different um, banks around the world in different countries. Um, they're a major um, payment rail, and it's just it's crazy to think that they were built up to be so huge, and yet everyone was well not everyone was duped because as we said you know people had been calling it out and obviously a lot of people started there well a lot of funds started shorting it but the majority of people completely duped about what was what's been really going on so you've got to then question within the organization who knew how they knew and then like you say who's been papering this over who's been covering this up uh in different parts of of the entire financial system um I, mean, I think this is going to have a lot of fallout. Defo, defo. I mean, the uh, on on the with the subject of like uh, you know the people have been calling it out over the last few years. There's but there's the other side of that coin as well. I mean, there've been fund managers and investors who've been saying like who've been like doubling down on it. You know, who've just been yeah. saying no, no, I, I trust Wirecard. They are going to innovate. They are going to be you know the the next generation of uh, sort of financial uh, engineering, as it were. Uh, and you, you know, you do. It's interesting to get these people who hated the stock and were saying this is a gigantic fraud. And then you got the people at the same time who were who were, who were doubling down on it. Interestingly, one of the sort of the trivia about Wirecard is uh, it is the first company in the DAX uh, ever to uh, ever to file for insolvency. Uh, so, 32 years that index has been going on, and it's the first ever DAX constituent that has actually uh, has actually filed for it. Interestingly, there, are, you know. Crazy. It's not. It's not quite the first of of all of them. There was luck in coffee, uh, that was right. uh, a few yeah a few months back. It's similar accounting fraud where they were inflating their sales to a huge degree. But uh, but yeah. from what I understand of it, you know, of course, uh, you know, a lot of people do uh, are familiar with the very creative and imaginative accounting that goes on uh, and that can go on in China that can then you know can try and but raise. Creative accounting exists everywhere. In all in all countries, don't worry about that. When you you and I read enough uh, uh, company financials to know that there's all of these terms and and different sections to a to a balance sheet or a cash flow that are just fancy accounting spin. Oh sure, but I mean at the at the same time, I mean there's still there are still rules. So you know, in terms of uh, Western uh, accounting standards and accounting practices, uh, Chinese companies who uh, do reverse mergers to get onto uh, the stock exchanges in Western countries, they don't actually have uh, they don't actually have to um, to comply with those accounting standards at all. So as a result, they can just use whatever you know. They can be as imaginative as they like. They don't even need to use the you know the you know community adjusted EBITDA and all of the crazy things that WeWork was up to, for example. You know, they they can be even more imaginative with it. <laughs> but but with the uh, with luck in coffee, I mean, I don't. It doesn't appear to be quite as grand, uh, you know, a uh, you know a quite as grand a corporate scandal as uh, as this Wirecard. Uh, Wirecard debacle is going to be. Yeah, I mean, you look at Wirecard even today. So when they filed for uh, bankruptcy two days ago, I think it was now, uh, and you know the stock price was like 17, 18 euro thereabouts, and it like went to two, two euro, three euro, two euro, and even today it's like another sixty three percent down from that, down to about one point two nine euro, and I. Uh, you know, read a few articles and seen a bit of uh, information flowing around that, that gives a, a rough estimate uh, that that the sort of wide belief is that Wirecard stock is now worth about one euro. Um, so what what could be interesting from here is this is going to be a very long, protracted, drawn out um, uh, insolvency uh, proceedings from this. It will be interesting to see how long the stock keeps trading and what happens from here because we all know what happened with and we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago with bankrupt yeah. stocks as the new crypto right quite quite yeah I, uh, your uh, your uh, your uh, reaction uh, to me sharing this on uh, on social media was when robin hood which is a very very good insight i mean are european stocks that go bankrupt going to be treated in the same way by by the robin hood crowd as uh, as the likes of american stocks it'll be very interesting to see yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know if if Wirecard is available on Robinhood. I don't actually have Robinhood, but I'm curious can't get to it see. In the UK, probably, yeah. yeah, so I've got I've got a free trade uh, account, and I'm curious to see if Wirecard's actually available on that. So I'm going to have a, actually have a look while we're having a chat here. Yeah, yeah, go for it. 
maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah, commission free. I hope it is not available on oh. free trade. So that's probably the thing that's holding it back, right? Is that maybe. it's not, it's not, it might just not be available on those sites, but I, I would, I could almost be certain that if it were available on Robin hood, there would be day traders trying to just snaffle up, um, you know, hourly, hourly rises or falls or peaks in it because you know, it's still crazy volatile. And look, this is the other thing, right? Is that, okay, 2 billion euro odd is that never existed. I, w I was going to say it's gone missing, but that's not really the case. If something never exists, it can't technically go missing. Um, but, you know, when you look at even just the day's trading, right, on Wirecard, that it, it, it opened at like 2, 2.5 2 euro, dipped down to 2 euro, was back up to like 2.4 euro. So, you know, you're talking daily intraday swings, 10, 5, 15%. You know, day traders eat this stuff for breakfast, right? Mm. Um, you know, it's still down to like a, a euro 30. So, you know, there's, there's a, when you, you get this sort of volatility, there is still underlying, there is still some value in Wirecard. Like it's, while that money that doesn't exist, doesn't exist. And that's obviously, you know, a considerable hit to the actual, um, you know, business and, and, you know, they're insolvent. What they actually had done, and, and uh, as I said, the sort of the, the payment rails that they had built out, the technology platform that they did use, you know, it, it worked. You know, we can't, it was, it was used by a lot of, a lot of people. It, it, there actually was, and it quite likely is some actual value there in Wirecard. Yeah, that's not to say go ahead and start day trading this sucker because it's dead in the water. But I'm just saying is that, you know, through these insolvency proceedings, you know, when you, the creditors end up, something's going to come out of this is what I'm, mm. I think I'm, is what I'm someone's saying. Gonna, someone's going to get the assets, right? That's right. I mean, someone's going to pick these assets and build something from it, I think. Yeah. Like one of the things with Wirecard uh, that's being sort of, um, right, and I'm sure it will be uncovered, you know, that someone will make a documentary or more than one person. Oh, will make a I can't wait for that. And books will be written and all manner of things. But one of the things that's uh, been come up more recently was Wirecard uh, in their you know, investor conferences and the like saying that they're using the latest in AI technology, uh, you know, machine, machine learning and the like to, uh, to pass data. And then, but in more, uh, but, you know, according to some people who have been privy to it, you know, the staff are still using, you know, pretty just, the, just basic Excel to go and, uh, to, to go and find, find information and the like. I think one of the, um, I think something that uh, that's really going to have when we're talking about real long-term sort of structural consequences, I think the, uh, I mean, just the the way the regulator has behaved, uh, just so it's just the the worst things that the regulator could have done did. So when when people start publishing pieces saying there is something seriously wrong with the balance sheet here, and the regulator says no one's allowed to short the stock for two months because we think you're up to market manipulation, uh, and then starts filing criminal complaints against not just short sellers, which they did, but against journalists as well, just for writing about it in a negative way. I mean, things like that. Like that it's, like, it's like with uh, Gordon Brown changing the, his, you know, he started the Financial Services Authority here in the UK, and then after the financial crisis, it had to get a rebrand, and now it's the Financial Conduct Authority, right? It, it's one of those things where, the, just the perception of the regulator in Germany, you know, the, the perception of Germany being much more sort of orderly than the laissez-faire, you know, soft touch regulator. Like it just changes that perception of what, of how efficient and how uh, sort of pure uh, yeah. the German financial industry is. And I think that like, this is gonna, this is gonna put a serious stain on that. So it's called BaFin now. I bet you, I, well, I, I wouldn't say I bet, but I, I would not be at all surprised if they decide they're going to change the name of it or something. Oh, absolutely. There'll be a, a mass inquiry into how the regulator works in Germany. I mean, this, this is not just an embarrassment for Wirecard and those involved. This is an embarrassment for Germany. And I have no doubt that the actual government itself is taking this on with such... Um, uh, I, I think such embarrassment that they are going to just literally tear through their entire regulatory system when it comes to financial conduct. Uh, and they are going, it, it'd be like in, it'd be like a Royal commission, the effect, the effective equivalent of a Royal commission and pretty much every recommendation that I reckon they'll end up taking up. It's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's that kind of scale um, 
that I think the embarrassment alone is a, you've got to question now the, the, the capacity and the function of the regulator to actually do the job they're supposed to do. Um, and you've got to call into question just how that scale of, of fraud effectively can, can, can get through the system. It's just, it's phenomenal how big a deal this is going to be as it plays out over the, I think it's, you know, play out over the next few years, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we can sort of go into some of the even more conspiratorial sort of ideas there where you know, the, maybe the fraud was acknowledged, but because this was, uh, you know, this was uh, Europe's pretty much only fintech major, that well, Central Europe's only major fintech company. You know, the US has all of the rest. Uh, and, and Asia has plenty as well. But, you know, in Central Europe, there really isn't much going on when it comes to financial technology. This was a major constituent of the DAX. This was, you know, supposedly, you know, this was meant to be the shiny example of European innovation. And, you know, this is why uh, while the U.S. is going, you know, going gangbusters, while Asia is growing so much, while in the U.K. they've got uh, the city of London where all their financial technology is, is booming. You know, this was this was meant to be there. Uh, this was there meant to be say, well, hey, we've got this, uh, and you know, maybe the the, the politicization of that uh, was one of the reasons why the regulator uh, refused. Uh, well, not not only refused, turned a blind eye, but outright protected the company. I think that yeah, would absolutely. Be, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that how, how that sort of transpires over time. Yeah, but, and uh, and don't forget with 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 Wirecard out of the market as well. That all of a sudden opens that entire market all their everything they were doing all the, the customers that they actually had the legitimate customers the legitimate money they were making is all basically just gone grabs. it's up for grabs and so yeah, there's yeah. going to be some companies that are going to go you little beauty and they are just going to have a field day on wirecard's customers yeah it'll be interesting to see how it transpires i i must say sam i have uh, i have finished my beer yeah, uh, I, I finished mine at least a couple of minutes ago. Right. <laughs> that was well, delightful. Well, in terms of our uh, our uh, our rating system, I must say we have we have plowed through that one pretty quick. I think that's yeah. generally bodes well for what the score is going to be. Uh, in does. terms of our, our rating system, of course, uh, for those uh, who who are new to listening, uh, we are running from uh, triple B being the very best uh, down to triple A, which is the very worst. And this is following the uh, the investment grade. Uh, of uh, of investment bonds, however, we've we've flipped it about around a bit. So triple B uh, is now the best, and it runs from triple B down to double B, single B, uh, single A, double A, and then triple A with pluses or minuses depending on uh, on any nuances. Now, uh, Sam, I think we'll start with you. How would you rate uh, nature's mysterious patterns? Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, according to our inverse investment grade uh, uh, rating system. The, our convoluted, complex, but completely <laughs> applicable system. Uh, that's a cr that's a cracking beer. So I will I will preface uh, all of our recommendations with to achieve the top triple B rating, the most premium quality investment rating we can give a triple B. Uh, it's got to be something pretty special. So uh, for those that aren't achieving triple B, it's not that they're you know not up there. But triple B, it's got to really rock my socks uh, for right. for me to give one. But this is pretty pretty bloody good. I'm not going to lie. I could drink a lot of those um, in, a, in, in a session <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and, and I would be pretty drunk by the end of it at 5%. That'd, that'd, that'd be uh, that'd be a good one. You know what? I, if, if I could access nature's mysterious patterns at, at my local off license, I would probably go and grab a six pack right now because i'm having a barbecue tomorrow with some friends a socially distancing barbecue i might add uh not, not that we're really even socially distancing him whatever uh i'm giving that a a double b plus oh that's, wow. wow that's that that's actually out of yeah out of the beers we've had so far that has gone down very well it's, it doesn't sit in my stomach like some of them does um, and at the same time, I could consume a lot of those and enjoy, I think, even the sixth one or seventh one, I think I'd enjoy as much as the first. So I'm giving that a double B plus. Yeah, this is a really very splendid beer. I must say, Nature's Mysterious Patterns by By the River Brew. Very good indeed. In terms of my own rating, I must say, yeah, very refreshing. Goes down very, very well and very quickly. Uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, and, and it tastes just uh, really nice and crisp. 
really very fresh. If uh, anyone listening to this, I highly recommend it. We have, uh, mm. as ever, gotten this from uh, Ghost Whale, the uh, the uh, beer online beer retailer, uh, available for anyone in the UK. Uh, but yeah, in terms of uh, my rating for the beer, I would give this a double B. Not not a plus, but I'd give this a double B. This is definitely the best beer that we have consumed so far, I would say, uh, in, uh, in, in our series of podcasts as we know it. A double B for Nature's Mysterious Patterns, an American pale ale by By the River Brew. Now, uh, Sam, would you like to introduce us to our next beer for the day? Yes, so I quite, uh, I quite like the look of this one because the can itself is black, as is the label. Um, and this is the Avatar State, which is a West Coast IPA. Um, and it's from Boxcar. Uh, so Boxcar Brewery in Birkbeck Street in London. Um, it's a 6%, so it's a little stronger. Um, and I'm looking forward to this one because, as I said, I, it's, I, just, I can't remember the last time I think I ever saw a black can itself along with, uh, along with the labeling like this. I, I'm looking forward to this. And it's, it's kind of a, I'm not sure how I, I wouldn't say psychedelic, it's like a dark psychedelic style sort of uh, label on it. But uh, I'm going to crack this open, pour it out and, and, and see how we go. Yeah, so this is, so if you've ever had any beers from Boxcar, they're quite an interesting uh, brewery. They're generally pretty, uh, in terms of the, sort of the taste of the beer, it's generally pretty, um, sort of, yeah, what, what you see is kind of what you get. As, uh, generally not, they're not trying to do lots of crazy weird flavoring. Uh, but this is uh, Avatar State. And as uh, Sam says, it does, uh, it's not quite psychedelic, it's quite, it's metallic. It's like, a, it's a bit like a sunset on the front with some uh, geometric stuff around it. Um, yeah, that's and, a better uh, description or, than what I gave. <laughs> or maybe it's, it looks, you know, if we're getting imaginative, it, it's maybe like, um, you know, somewhere in, uh, on the Gulf and someone's just blown up an oil pipeline. Uh, and it's sunset or something in the background. It looks yeah, it's uh, it's getting towards nighttime. It's got that vibe. It's like cloudy, orange yeah. cloudy sunset. I I I would agree with that. And well, I will add, this also is suitable for vegans. Oh, we need that. Very good. Vegan yeah. beer. Not every beer is suitable for vegans. True, Guinness isn't um, because uh, I believe something to do with the fish that somehow used somewhere. In it. I, I I don't I don't know to be honest with you what makes a beer vegan friendly or not. I mean I've got I've got a few friends that are vegan, and um, you know I they, they've been vegan for a very 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 long time uh, for, for health reasons they've decided to, you know needed to be vegan, and uh, over years they've struggled with restaurants uh, with alcohol just to find something that they can have. I've noticed a significant change in the last probably 18 months uh, in, well, before lockdown in, in, in restaurants, pubs that are providing vegan menus. And uh, also now it's starting to see a lot more vegan beers and vegan, vegan alcohol or vegan friendly alcohol uh, on the market. So, you know, it's, it's, I think if, if, uh, brewers um, alcohol producers aren't sort of aware to these sorts of things you know they're missing out on a very significant chunk of uh, of the market but yeah boxcar avatar state vegan friendly so any vegans out there this one's for you <laughs> quite the uh, description on the can is welcome to the neon sky level that's neon sky capitalized so i'm not, I'm not really sure what it might be what it might be hinting at but uh, I guess it does sort of sort of sit the label overall. Sam, have you had a sip of it yet? I have, and I'm 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 gonna need several of these sips to really put a finger on it. Well, what are you what are your thoughts so far on this one? Yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting. It's got uh, quite a strong uh, sort of aftertaste. Um, mm. It's almost tart, uh, but pretty uh, you know very much hoppy IPA kind of thing. Doesn't still doesn't taste six percent. It's got a pretty strong flavour, but it doesn't really taste six percent. I would say. Um, the vegan thing, you know, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, the craft beer scene uh, is pretty heavily populated by the kind of folks who are vegan, uh, in my, my kind of experience. Um, I guess that's, uh, I guess it's something that um, a lot of these places enjoy uh, sort of advertising. I see actually on the last can that we had for uh, Nature's Mysterious Patterns, they've also got a V symbol on it. I'm assuming that means it's suitable for vegan, though I don't see it written anywhere. They do have the symbol as well, which I, I, I agree with you. I think is the symbol for vegan friendly. They don't actually state it on the can. Is it? No, I don't think. I'm pretty sure it's vegan friendly. But uh, I mean, as a, as a suggestion to, to brewers that, that may by chance end up listening to uh, our podcast, if you're going to put the label, the little uh, symbol on there, just maybe just chuck on vegan friendly in words as well, just so that we are absolutely sure. Because 
while I see it, I don't 100% know. And so that little bit of confusion means that I couldn't say whether or not it is 100% vegan friendly, but I think it is. But maybe they're, uh, maybe they're doing it the, the conversely. They're trying to not offend the people who are offended by the fact that people are saying, you know, beer is vegan, you know? Uh, there are some, uh, some folks who, who really don't, uh, don't appreciate the, uh, they don't appreciate breweries going that extra mile uh, to try and help the, help the vegans out. Maybe they're trying to, uh, trying to ensure that, you know, they're, they're trying to make a compromise between them. Maybe, but I think that's a pretty daft view. I mean, if you're not drinking a beer because you're opposed to veganism, I think you're a bit of an idiot, really. Sure, but they've I mean, still got money and they're still going to, you know, fund the brewery. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I, that's like saying that you think McDonald's is a complete waste of time because you only eat um, Whoppers from Burger King. <laughs> that's an interesting metaphor. <laughs> but I mean, so look, the other thing, right? So while we're on this sort of topic of, of of veganism and all of that, I mean, you can't deny that this is probably one of the bigger social trends that has an impact on the markets as well uh that we've probably seen for some time like the consumption of of food and beverages and uh you know who who it applies to and, and the sorts of opportunities that are existing in this space i mean so you know the the, the very clear uh, and obvious um part of that is is what's happened and what we've seen with the rise of beyond meat so you know beyond meat is uh, what what we what people would term in the markets as an alternative an alternative meat company, um, when in reality what they do is that they're just a, a they're a food company that produces vegan uh, friendly food that just sort of tastes like meat. Um, now you know they they sort of their target market is what you know some people determine as the flexitarian, uh, which is those that eat a little bit of meat, go sort of vegan sometimes and, and and everything in between and and i'm not gonna lie i i would classify myself and and our household as flexitarian as much as i hate the term because we eat a bit of meat yeah we eat a bit of meat but at the same time some of the quality stuff that's coming out that is you know that is vegan food is great and it's companies like beyond meat uh, impossible foods is another one right so in january this year i was at um, that big tech trade show in las vegas ces i went to this premiere uh for impossible foods where they had this whole new range of vegan friendly pork and i say pork sort of in, in inverted commas because there was no pork in the inverted commas pork <laughs> uh, sure. as it was so you know they're 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 throwing you know significant capital and resources behind developing scientifically developing um new food that's vegan friendly that tastes like pork or tastes like meat, that tastes like the meats that we know, has the same texture as the meats that we know, but actually has no meat in them whatsoever. So it's, it's fascinating stuff. And it sort of makes people, it challenges people's conception and, and thoughts about the food that they eat, the environmental impact that that has, and the possibility that something that isn't actually meat can still taste like meat, have the same texture as meat, but not actually be meat. Yeah, I mean, the uh, I guess the sort of the counterpoint to that is uh, the health benefits of it, uh, because as I understand, you know, uh, the, the the great deal of processing that goes into uh, into these uh, in very interesting creations is, uh, you know, it's not necessarily as healthy for you in terms of you know, protein, uh, sodium, things like that, right? Well, I think that it actually is. So, really? again, it it, it it depends. I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know the exact specifics of it. And, you know, if anyone listening is a food scientist, by all means, um, you know, you can reach out to us on Twitter at uh, Booze Booms Busts uh, and let us know. But from my understanding is that the, the protein and the nutritional content of all of, this, all of this stuff that, you know, Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat is putting out is just is perfectly fine for you. And, oh yeah, you know, yeah. Not not as in it's uh, you know it's it's going to be really deleterious for your health, but just in terms of relative to the meat it's trying to replace. Yeah, uh, equally equally as good. Equally as really? good. I think that's their whole that's their whole point of what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to deliver something of the of the almost equivalent nutritional value that just takes that um, side of you know the the production of um, you know uh, agri agriculture and livestock um, takes sort of the the practices that have been in place 
that are changing, I, I might add, um, and, and changes that and put, sort of flips that on the, the, its head and, and gives people another, another option, I think. And I, you know what? I think this is going to be one of the biggest, I think this is going to be one of the biggest social changes that we see over the next decade. And I think it's going to create some serious market opportunity. There's not loads of companies at the moment. Beyond Meat's the, the clear prime example of, of that. But I know Impossible Foods was looking at an IPO. Uh, that's, I think, gone to the shitter because of the lockdown and coronavirus stuff. But I would yeah. expect that they'll probably IPO, if not in the second half of this year, sometime next year. Uh, and th- I'm sure there'll be more. Um, even traditional meat companies that, that, that do, you know, the livestock thing and, and, and put out, you know, proper meat, even they're investing in this space. So I think there's something to it. I guess that's kind of like uh, cigarette companies buying up the vaping brands, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the uh, sort of the, the impossible meat stuff and uh, all of that, like I, I don't really have much of a dog in the fight because I, I've been vegetarian almost all my life. So I, I was raised vegetarian and uh, while I've eaten meat uh, as, as uh, um, you know, in, in recent times, I, I've ne- it still hasn't actually you know, appealed to me that much. That uh, I, I, you know, I want to eat all the time. So it's more a force of habit rather than anything else. And whenever I actually have eaten meat, uh, because I was raised on fake meat, real meat to me tastes like a fake version of the fake meat that I was actually <laughs> actually raised on. Right. So it's like, meat I, I inception. Like, yeah, quite. I mean, it's like uh, I feel that the real stuff isn't the real deal. You know, it's no, it's not it's not actually the real stuff. So when I've had, uh, so I've tried, you know, the uh, Impossible Burgers and stuff. And, you know, they, they taste all right. But, I mean, it tastes like, kind of like uh, meat, I suppose. So it's just not, it's not something I'm, uh, it's sort of massively, uh, I mean, maybe there are, there are plenty of people, you know, there are so many people who, like, when they find out that you're vegetarian or something, they'll say, oh, you know, I, I tried that. You know, I tried that for a month or two weeks or whatever. Yeah, and, uh, like know, a fad sort of thing. Big effort. And they say, oh, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, I, I so I, I don't really, I, I don't really. I mean, there are a lot of people who want to want to try it. It does feel like something of a an inner city thing, you know, like a like a very cosmopolitan, well, metropolitan sort of thing, where you know, or uh, you know, West Coast liberal kind of thing, almost uh, that we need to stop eating meats because we need to save the planet, um, all that kind of thing. I'm yeah. not so sure that the trend extends much beyond that, though, if you go into, um, you know, just less metropolitan areas, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on that, because when you do go out to rural areas, that's where the farmers are, right? And so farmers that actually, you know, breed livestock and then sell livestock and or, you know, process the livestock, um, you know, they, they're used to that way of life. But we also know that there's a significant decline in farming. And we also know that there's, for for quite some time been quite a significant mass migration towards urban centers because that's where the sort of jobs are and i think it's probably a generational thing as well so that while i i think that the younger generations have a greater appreciation for things like animal welfare and things like yeah, the very millennial it is it is a it is a bit of a millennial trend i hate to use the term millennial too often because i think millennials get a bit of a bum rap from from a lot of the other generations. Well, I, I mean, I'm, really... I'm a millennial and I give millennials a very bad rap. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't help when their owner taking them down. Um, right. But I, yeah, I do see, I see it as a, as a generational sort of shift. I think, I think it fits into one of those things where it doesn't just happen overnight, but we're seeing the seeds sown uh, right now. Excuse the sort of, the sort of loose pun there um, <laughs> with, with this being a bigger shift in terms of, um, I guess, not just, I mean, we'll always have livestock, or I think we'll probably always have livestock um, and, and actual meat, but I think we will start to see far more choice of things like uh, plant-based alternative meat um, or meat replacements, or even, I know this freaks a lot of people out, but lab-grown right, meat. meat. Yeah, 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 I yeah mean, so, exactly. So it's, it's, which is actual meat, but it's not meat taken from, you know, the of, of, of slaughter. Yeah, that's right. So no, little, little lamby isn't being slaughtered for its, uh, for its chops. Right. Um, instead, yeah. lamby sells are taken from it 
And Lammy grows a beautiful, long, happy life in the pasture and dies of natural causes. Super happy Lammy that becomes sheep and sheepy dies, happy days. But the cells taken from Lammy are used to create meat. And that's the meat that we consume. Now, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's where the, the seeds for that are being sown now. And it freaks a bit of, you know, people kind of lose their mind a bit like, oh, lab grown meat. Oh, it's like Frankenstein meat. It's like, no, not at all. That's, that's not the, the fundamental technology that they're working on. It's just cells and cells being grown to create something in a far more environmentally friendly way, far more humane way. Um, that we can all use. And I think that also fits into the, to the sort of longer picture with this. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's sort of the area that I would be, I, I, I really would be quite, quite bullish on in a way. I mean, it does seem, yeah. uh, it, it does seem like such a radical shift because if you didn't, uh, you know, if you could just grow, if they, this could be, uh, you know, mass manufactured effectively in, in labs, I mean, just the, the huge amount of, uh, you know, land, the huge amount of energy, uh, right, know, yeah. methane emissions, everything would, would yeah. go away. And I mean, it would uh, it would definitely put an end to the whole uh, argument over chlorine washed chicken or whatever, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the Super Size Me 2 uh, documentary Morgan Spurlock did about the I chicken farming industry in the US. But I watched that. So I was on a one of my long haul flights back to Australia and I put that on and, and I kid you not, after watching that, I didn't want to eat chicken anymore. <laughs> I just genuinely right. didn't want to eat chicken anymore. It was disgusting. Or at least not mass, mass processed chicken. I'd, I'd rather buy the chicken from a local producer. But at the same time, if all of a sudden there was chicken in the shops that was still chicken meat, but never actually came from, you know, a chicken with a brain uh, that was grown from a little cute fluffy yellow chick to an actual chicken, I'd yeah, probably yeah, eat not- that. You know, I, I think I think you're right. I think that's probably going to be one of the really big, you know, when we're talking about food and agriculture, when we push the boat out a little bit with the kind of technology that's being developed and, and being looked at with all the trends that we see today about, you know, environmental concern and animal welfare and, you know, big, you know, big agricultural companies like Tyson Foods in the US and, and how they go about mass producing meat in the way that they do. I think that you're right. I think this is going to be a really big story that's going to start to really chip its way into the mainstream uh, consciousness over the next sort of year or two, really, because the technology for that has actually been in the works for a little while now. It's not, it's not new stuff. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's going to be something for people to really keep an eye on in the investment world. Yeah, one of our uh, acquaintances, uh, Harry Harry Hamburg, he, yeah, with a, with quite an ironic name, I suppose, uh, when it comes to this. <laughs> <laughs> if he only was, it was Harry Hamburger, really. I know, right? But <laughs> close, close enough, close enough. He he wrote a pretty, uh, a very. Uh, quite a thought-provoking piece on on this. Uh, I think it was probably two years ago, actually, where he was just comparing how uh, you know sequencing DNA uh, had gone from so being something incredibly expensive that was uh, only done in very uh, minute uh, sort of uh, you know with a very very minute impact and uh, on you know very very low numbers of the population to something today where it can be done on a much larger scale. And he was just comparing that with uh, the cloning of meat um, as it as it exists because you know it can be done, uh, but it's the the scale. It's all about the scale and it's all about the yeah. cost. Uh, yeah. And it's when somebody can really drive down that cost through some means or other that, you know, this could really, really change something, right? Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. Absolutely. It's about, you know, economies of scale, the ability to drive down cost, but also, you know, reach the masses. And the thing, I think you could almost draw a parallel to to this with something like uh, the solar industry, right? So when sort of, solar panels and, and all of that first came out decades ago, far too expensive, uh, far too, too, too bulky, too ugly, everything you didn't want. It was expensive to make, it was inefficient uh, and it couldn't scale. Now, only just now are we starting to get to that tipping point where the actual cost to manufacture the cells, the cost to produce them on mass scale, to install them, uh, for consumers to buy them is at a point and with the efficiency of what they can actually capture in the sun. Only now have we started to reach that point where it's really something that's going to, to really be a mass market thing. 
those sorts of changes can take, you know, they can take a decade or two. And I think you're right is that the idea yeah. of something like lab grown meat or something like, you know, cloned meat. Again, I think we've also got to be careful about the terms that we use when we describe these things because they can give off negative connotations when they don't need to be negative connotations like lab grown or cloned. They're not really the sorts of terms that make you want to eat something. So, oh, yeah. you know, that, that also does put some roadblocks, I think, in, in, in the way for a lot of these things. But you're right, man. Economies of scale and, and that comes. That, that comes. That, that doesn't... With, with these sorts of changes and, and opportunities, that does come. It doesn't happen overnight. And that's why I think, you know, smart investors sort of understand that. They look at these opportunities and they say, okay, well, you know, we can get some early seed money in here, but with a long view, you know, we might be on one of the big, big growth stories over the next decade. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, Kentucky Fried Clone doesn't really sort of roll <laughs> off the tongue quite, quite the way that uh, a salesman would like it to. You know, there was uh, um, no. one of the most successful early chain email. I think it was a chain email uh, virus uh, that got sent around back in the 90s. It was a, um, or actually, in fact, I don't even think it was a virus. It was just a hoax. It was, uh, I've read this ages ago, so forgive me for uh, the accuracy, but this was way back <laughs> in the 90s when email was just, uh, was just starting out in a big way. And you know, there were still like millions of people had, had email by this point, but it was when email wasn't, it was nothing like email the way we have it today. And it was a, um, it was a hoax story. So it was like probably one of the, uh, what, what you would call fake news today, where you have you know, a fake news page that's been created in, you know, I don't know, a Ukrainian troll farm or whatever. But it, it was sort of taking that idea, but it was a very early one where it was simply an article that was being sent out as an email, as a, as a, as a joke, ultimately. Uh, and pretty much, uh, you know, it was just a hoax email. And it was just saying that um, KFC, uh, you're, if you go to KFC, you're not actually eating chicken. Uh, it's actually lab-grown. Uh, it's <laughs> lab-grown like chickenoids. It's just the meat that is being injected with steroids and, you know, kept alive with like intravenous fluids and stuff. Like it's not an actual chicken. You're not eating chicken when you go to KFC. And this, uh, this story uh, went viral through the early version of email. So we didn't have social media back then. So it was just people sending this along to other people uh, who were sending it along to other people. And it, you know, it spread across the world. Um, and, uh, you know, it, but, and of course, I think KFC ended up having to do like a massive statement as to why this was actually not true. And the whole thing was, uh, whole thing was wrong. But I remember reading about that when I was, uh, when I was a kid. It was... Uh, yeah, it was just one of these, one of these um, books I'd taken out of my school's library on. Yeah, uh, you know, but you know what? That that hit so many. That hit everywhere around the world. Could be because they used to be called Kentucky Fried, and and I'm not going to lie, I still don't necessarily know if it wasn't true. Yeah, right. And I'll tell you why. Because I remember it used to be called Kentucky Fried Chicken, and then they changed their name to just KFC. KFC yeah, yeah. So nothing to do with chicken. And and yeah, I remember, I, I remember at the time, people were like. So they change their name because it's not actually chicken. <laughs> right. The, uh, I always wonder about those. Uh, there will be a legal reason. You know, some lawyer will probably yeah, be able to give me an course. answer. But I've not, I've not been able to actually iron it down like, properly as to why British Petroleum changed their name officially to BP, why UBS is called UBS. Uh, I forget, the, uh, I forget the, the, the original term for it, but it was what, like uh, Union Bank of Switzerland. Uh, but, you know, at the official time, what the name was officially changed to UBS. That is all the company is called. It, it doesn't stand for anything. It's just UBS. BP is not British Petroleum. It's not beyond petroleum like in their just marketing, BP. right? It's just <laughs> BP. But I don't know why. I don't know actually why that is the case. I, and I would love to know because it, it kind of drives me nuts. You can't just be called, you know, a series of letters that don't mean anything, right? Well, I'll tell you what's going to be really concerning is when McDonald's just called McD. Then, then <laughs> shit, shit has hit the fan when that happens, because there was that. I mean, it wasn't just KFC, right? It was McDonald's as well. People used to be like, "The nuggets aren't nuggets; they're yeah, they're, yeah. they're pork fat." I'm like, "What? Whoa, 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 whoa! What?" <laughs> it's like, no. And and you remember, like McDonald's and and a lot of these fast food companies just went through this whole phase where that all their advertising was like, "We actually serve meat in our food. Our beef patties are 100% beef." Our chicken nuggets are 100% chicken. And, um, and they're still to this day trying to fight off that whole concept and perception that the, that the meat that they have isn't meat. 
But then interestingly as well, so Burger King, KFC have been early adopters in actually taking on some of these alternative meats. So like KFC and Impossible Foods were doing uh, Impossible Chicken. Uh, and, and the same with um, Burger King. In Australia, by the way, we call Burger King Hungry Jacks. So if, if I ever accidentally referred to Burger King as Hungry Jacks, um, it's because I'm from Australia and that's what we that's call That's a new it. one on me. I, d- I didn't know that. Hungry You've not Jacks. heard that before. Yeah, yeah. There, there is no Burger... Well, I don't know if it is now. I've not been there for... Well, I've not lived there for seven years. I think it's still Hungry Jacks. Any Aussies listening, just confirm with me on Twitter. As I said, at, boom, <laughs> at, at Booze Booms and Busts. Uh, booze Booms Busts. If, if Hungry Jacks are still Hungry Jacks or if it's now Burger King like the rest of the world. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing, you know. The, so in, I think it might have been Canada or somewhere, but uh, so Burger King as well, they're trying these uh, alternative meats from Impossible Foods, from Beyond Meat. I can't exactly remember which ones are doing which with, with who, um, but they're all trying it. And at one point, I think when KFC did their, I think it was Impossible Chicken, um, it sold out. Like in, in it, they, they, they had to say, we've got no more left. Come back when we try and do this again. So there's something there, right? Even in fast food where you expect that people will kind of be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not eating that because that's not meat. It was like, well, theoretically, if you buy into the conspiracy theories that you weren't eating meat all along, um, I think that I think there's really a big market, especially when if something like McDonald's or KFC or Burger King puts on their regular menu forever, uh, like an impossible burger or a beyond meat burger or something like that. Then I think we're really going to start to see this industry take off. You know, I think it was, uh, I think it was just this week, actually, that one of the fast food chains in the States started doing an impossible something. I think it was a hot dog in fact, but I can't remember. Starbucks Starbucks have been doing, I think, something with Beyond Meat or Impossible. One of the two with us with a sandwich as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, they they must be very good at uh, you know at really sort of proselytizing, you know, for the for the fake meat thing. I wonder how much the uh, the sort of the legacy fast food chains have actually spent on marketing to try and reinforce to people that the meat that they're eating is actually real. So because like here in the UK. I mean, you do get, uh, they, they do like to, um, I mean, they, part of the whole marketing is this is British beef, right? You know, that's part, yep. of the, part, part of the selling for it is, by the way, you are eating British beef. It's not from another country. And I guess it kind of ties into that same uh, issue for people who don't, who, for some, whatever reason, don't believe that what they're eating is meat to some degree. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's strange. There's so many different facets to it, whether it's actually meat, or not, and then whether it's domestic meat or not, because who wants to eat foreign meat? God no. <laughs> um, but interesting, and again, interesting in Australia, they they're all like, yeah, we're a hundred percent Australian beef. Uh, so it's it's weird. They they spend a lot. I would I would have no doubt they spend a lot on saying that it is it is what it's supposed to be. But I think that they you know when they start to bring these alternative options to the menu they'll kind of be like, we don't need to spend that money on that anymore. We can just say, you know what? If you don't want this, have this instead. And they sort of have a foot in both camps and, and, and that's probably good. So, you know, not only is there maybe something to be said for, you know, investors in these alternative meat opportunities, but maybe these fast food companies have got a little bit tucked up their sleeve as well to tap into new markets, like, just like the trend of, you know, salads and healthy foods coming onto the, their menus, you know, don't people probably don't appreciate how nimble and flexible and adaptable uh, fast food companies are and they can make they can make potentially good long-term investments as well yeah i mean in in australia you guys eat kangaroos right i mean do any of the uh, the fast food chains actually do like kangaroo burgers <laughs> yeah you say you say it like we kind of just rock into the backyard and go oh there's a roo I'll just chuck that on the Barbie. I mean, you can buy kangaroo meat. Yeah. You can buy kangaroo meat in the shop. Um, and to be fair, you know, kangaroo people are like, Oh, kangaroo is so cute. It's like, well, they kind of destroy a lot of, a lot of bushland. And I mean, they, is there they, like a fake kangaroo burger? Impossible. Uh, there's, there's not, but maybe that, but there should be right. But well, to be fair, if this is right, you can buy kangaroo meat and, and Buffalo burgers and all that sort of thing in your, in your local high street market over here as well. But, I would I would expect that 
when these companies start to do, as we say, um, I, I, I hate to use the term cloned meat or <laughs> until we find a better term for it, which we will aim to do. Um, I'm going to bait, refer right? to that. But any, any animal, kangaroo. right? Kangaroo yeah. burger, buffalo. I mean, I've had Never some right. buffalo burgers. I, I, when I was living in London at the Kingston Markets uh, out in uh, southeast, uh, southeast? Yeah, southeast um, London. Southwest, southwest, southwest London. Um, at the King's Markets, there was this great little um, meat store and they sold kangaroo burgers and buffalo burgers and stuff like that. And I had a buffalo burger and that was great, but I didn't really stop to think about it. But I'd probably eat a cloned buffalo burger or a kangaroo burger or a crocodile burger um, or, you know, anything that doesn't actually kill an animal. Like a, I'd, I'd eat a rhino burger, for God's sake, if it didn't <laughs> actually come from a actually killed rhino. If it was, yeah, it was yeah. just some rhino cells that were, you know, taken from a rhino and that rhino went on to live a happy life i don't even rhino burger i don't know who wouldn't in in that yeah, situation yeah. yeah i wouldn't have a problem with it i mean i'm vegetarian but you know i'd try it wouldn't be a wouldn't be an yeah. issue so there's something anyway, in that i think in terms of uh i mean this does actually tie into our, our conversation a bit with uh, the name of our bear being avatar state as uh, we are talking i guess about uh, when you're talking about cloning and whatever and the burgers yeah, themselves it's like sort of, the avatar of meat <laughs> Yeah, quite. Like it's the uh, the Avatar kangaroo or buffalo <laughs> yeah. or, or whatever else that would get cloned. But Sam, what would you? How would you rate this beer using our our, uh, our sublimely, uh, needlessly com complicated rating system? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I actually I did enjoy that um, as well. It was a little bit heavier for me. Um, so again, it's not probably something I would drink loads of but I'd, I'd have a couple or have three and, and still quite enjoy it definitely has that um sort of ipa feel about it I, I actually think it probably hits the nail on the head when it for me it tastes like the sort of alcohol percentage that it has um it it, it got a little better as i kept drinking it so it's probably not perfect when it's as cold as i had it to start with a little bit closer towards um I don't know. I wouldn't say room temperature, but somewhere between very chilled and room temperature is a good, good temperature for it. Um, but I enjoyed it. Not as much as nature's mysterious patterns. Um, but I still enjoyed it enough that I'd probably, probably put a couple of those away over dinner or just, you know, in the evening, instead of a red wine, I'd maybe have a couple of box cars or something like that. Box car avatar states. So I'm actually going to give that a B plus B plus. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I enjoyed it, but not overly. It was like, yeah, that's okay. And I'll have some more. So yeah, I'm going to give that a B plus. Yeah. I, uh, I think we're, I think we're uh, sort of simming from, uh, we're, we're <laughs> simming. No, we're, uh, I think we're sort of singing from the same hymn sheet here. I'm quite similar to yourself with it's uh, it's a very nice beer. It's not the, you know, it's not the best beer in the world. It is quite heavy. The more, uh, the, the further you go through, um, yeah, six percent. It still doesn't really taste six percent, but it is it is pretty heavy. Uh, but it is a very you know it's refreshing, um, and it's not it's not too tart. You know, it doesn't rasp too much. Uh, I found when I when I drank it, I would give this. I think in my book, I'd give this a a, a solitary B, uh, no plus or minus, just a, a a B, which is a good beer. I mean, I drink it again. Nothing to uh, nothing to write home about, but uh, you know, very fine beer. You can put them away, um, and uh, yeah, very very enjoyable. I would say. I just want to add one more thing. Uh, we haven't given many sort of A or below ratings at the moment, but I had a beer the other day uh, that we haven't <laughs> reviewed that, that I did also get from Ghost Whale um, that if, if, if Boaz suggests that we both procure it and review it, I'm not going to get it, but I will be able to give a rating for it. It was easily a triple A rating for me. So much so I had a sip, said it was disgusting, and I poured it down the sink. So don't think, don't think that we're skewed towards B ratings. There are triple A's out there and we will give those sorts of horrible ratings at some point in time. So hold on tight because I know one's coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm proud to say that the ones that we have had so far in the podcast were picked by me. So, so I'm doing my <laughs> yeah. best to get the good ones, but uh, I've no doubt that we will encounter some, uh, some, uh, you know, uh, I guess some the, rank beer just say it. some rank disgusting yeah, we, beer <laughs> yeah some uh, some motor oil uh, on, on the way 
but I think that does. Uh, I think that does sum up today's uh, today's uh, episode. I think this was uh, really quite. Uh, yeah, I think this is. Uh, we ranged all over the place with Wirecard and uh, to then on to fake fake meat. I think this was. Uh, I think a pretty productive one, Sam. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that. We uh, we were talking about what topics we we discussed today, and we, we we're definitely going to talk about uh, Wirecard because it is uh, booze, booms, and busts, and Wirecard has absolutely been a bust um so it fitted 100%. perfectly into what we're going to talk about but uh, we hadn't planned to talk about vegan stuff at all so <laughs> that made things yeah. certainly interesting quite quite now uh, we will be uh, we'll be ending the podcast here i'm afraid however if you are interested in uh, listening to more of uh, more of these we are now on I- both itunes and spotify so do be sure to give us a follow we're also on uh, twitter both myself and zam have individual twitter accounts and we also run the uh, booze booms and busts twitter account now we shall be back again next week i hope you enjoyed this one Uh, in the meantime i hope you have a very good week ahead but that is all from us for the moment and we'll see you next time